Good morning and welcome to Tinker Talks, a podcast that discusses all things Tinker. It's a place to find out what goes on behind the fence at one of the Air Force's largest bases and the home of Oklahoma's largest single-site employer. Twice a month we bring you airmen stories and information you want or may need to know. Um, so this morning, uh, 24 years ago today at 9.02 a.m., the world as we knew it in Oklahoma and the country for that matter was forever changed. A truck sitting outside the Alfred P. Merrill building exploded, leaving 168 people dead and hundreds more injured. Joint task forces were formed quickly and put into action as police and rescue workers moved into action at the site. As we remember that sad day this morning, uh, we are um, joined here by three very special guests uh, whose lives were forever changed that morning. Uh, Justin Dalworth, Brad Vance, and Jimmy Westervelt were working here at Tinker Air Force Base as firefighters when they got the uh, call to respond to go downtown and um, continue to be a part of Tinker Team Tinker to this day. So, uh, gentlemen, good morning, and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Good morning. Good morning. Special episode. Um, so, first off, um, you know, hats off to you guys for for having been there and been a part of this, but. Um, can you take me through what you were doing that morning when the truck exploded and, and how was it you guys were called into action? I personally um, had gotten off duty that morning from a 24-hour shift at uh, 7 a.m. Uh, lived on the south side of Oklahoma <coughs> City at that point, so got there about 8. Um, going about my normal business to start my day and um, definitely felt something and heard something. Um, and knew something bad had happened. Um, decided to go ahead and head back on into work. I mean, it was that that big. I was at uh, on duty at Station Two. Um, we uh, we had uh, Station Two and Station Three were combined during a uh, remodel phase of Station Three at the time, so we had a lot of people there. Uh, we were outside. Uh, cleaning the trucks, cleaning the floor, our normal duty days uh, stuff. And Chief Ingram um, came outside, and we we couldn't hear it. We didn't hear it there because there was an aircraft running up on the ramp. And uh, he came out and told everybody to get inside. Um, we showed us what was on on TV, and he said, "Grab everything you need, get in the get in the rigs," and we headed to Station One. And on our way to Station One, uh, they the crews up there had already been they had already taken off uh, for downtown. So, and then that's where the day started for me. Okay. And you're Justin. Justin. Right. And, yes. And I'm Brad. We're Brad. Okay. And then. Yeah, right off the bat, down at Station One, uh, I believe they had. I honestly can't remember back when how many trucks they sent out, but initially. A couple of trucks, um, and um, you know, obviously got details more as uh, as we went along. So, you came back to work mm -hmm. um, because you obviously felt something and big had happened. So, I mean, how many minutes was it between the time you felt something odd had just happened to the time that you guys were already moving downtown? And and how did that happen, Mike? How was it that you guys became 
involved? Was this something that was already pre-scheduled? Was it pre-worked? Did you guys train this before? We never had trained for anything like this. Nobody had at that point. I mean, you know, urban search and rescue teams were not as relevant as they are today. So that was not, um, they were in place, but not, you know, we didn't have anything here in the state or, or even in the department. Um, but how we were notified and how, you know, just by the television, we didn't ask to go. We didn't get, you know, called from Oklahoma City or anything. We just self-deployed, as did every Metro department around here and for miles and miles and miles. They were from the state, from border to border on the state line that everybody showed up I mean, in some form or fashion. There was departments that you'd never, never heard of that were there initially. And then out-of-state resources started showing up, uh, I do believe, that night. And through the next day, there was other task force units that showed up but for us locally uh chief goodbread at the time told uh, uh the staff to send uh, the the first two i think it was three units down yeah, there if i'm yeah. not mistaken i couldn't remember uh immediately and so we basically self-deployed and that's not something that we condone to do but we've pulled you know made arrangements for mutual aid assistance but uh at that point we knew that it was they knew it was chaos and that was not they needed the help and needed assistance yeah, it so was, it was something that didn't need to be requested or said it, it just everybody like i knew to come back to work that you knew to go and um, it was almost overwhelming for them to, to try to get their hands wrapped around uh, so many departments coming in at one time to help how did that happen when you, so, what happens? You guys all get down there, um, and how many from from Tinker went that time? I mean, you you guys are the last mm -hmm. three. Here. So three trucks. That would be initially about mm -hmm. a twelve. A twelve man, man crew. crew. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sure you have. And we still chief had to officers. cover the space. I mean, so we had to leave some of our assets behind. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a day! Mm -hmm. So you get down there, and obviously you. I mean, everybody then knows what's happened. You could see the smoke. You you could see it. Uh, the, the chaos, but what happens when you guys get on scene? Like, take me through that. Well, Captain Westervelt, he, he was on the first rotation that went down there immediately after it happened. Uh, Justin was on the next one that night, and I was, uh, I believe, on another one later on in the evening or the early morning on the 20th. Okay. So were you guys, were the trucks part of putting out fires? No, no, I mean... Uh, there really, at the time, really wasn't, I mean, there's a handful of spot fires, you know, automobiles here and there, but 100% uh, of it went into uh, uh, recovery, you know, rescue. Uh, and uh, you just basically had your leaders, your, your, your captains at the time, your station chiefs at the time, you know, basically form plan once we got on scene, uh, tried to coordinate as much as they could with their command system but like they said it was pretty much a chaos situation i thought they did great after you sit back and look at with the amount of resources that that were available right off the bat i don't think anybody can plan for such a a mass 
chaos incident. I mean, we train, I don't know, monthly, just say monthly on stuff like this here on Tinker, but until it happens. And then, uh, but, uh, you know, you form a plan and, you know, you, you set out to uh, achieve it, of course. So That incident changed how departments nationwide react and uh, handle situations like that and prepare because mm -hmm. nothing had ever, you know, of that size had happened before. Mm -mm. Right. So how long did you guys stay down there in and work through search and rescue? My first rotation, I was telling, I was telling the guys I really couldn't, there's a lot of stuff that I that just hits me. Uh, the timelines are kind of rusty, but I want to say that I'm pretty sure I stayed almost a 72-hour, and then and it might have been a 48, uh, but somewhere in that area. Then that's when our leadership had came up with a rotation, and I, I asked y'all the other day. 12 yeah, we hours, went to 12 hours. About 12 hours shifts. And, yeah, the uh, initial two three days, it was yeah. everybody. Like I said before. Uh, I remember sleeping on a church step mm -hmm. across from the building with, with Justin, just trying to catch sleep where you can. Mm -hmm. um, and then they started to uh, get a little handle on on setting up crews and such and rotations, so uh, to not have fatigue and, and stuff like that. Right? Were you guys able to eat? Or, mm. I'm guessing eat yes. and get a little bit of mm -hmm. water in you. The the I do believe. I mean. You, everybody knows the Oklahoma standard, mm. but that's where it was. That's crazy. That's where it was established. Mm. I mean, there had been tornadoes before that, obviously, but this is where the Oklahoma standard started. Uh, there was more food than, and drinks and equipment. You know, anything you needed, anything you needed was available for for everybody that was on scene. I mean, I mean yeah. it, was, from phones to Yes. I mean, cell phone uh, service, obviously, back then in 95, I mean, almost was kind of new. It you know, was, I mean, yeah. the pagers were going out of, you know, but, uh, you know, we had, and of course, I don't know the carrier, but, you know, they were, I mean, your phone ain't working, here's a new one. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean it's, it's just. It was exactly the way it was. Yeah. You need gloves, you need anything. anything. And there were hardware stores that were just bringing semis yeah. and stuff down there. there, was, there no was accountability. The parking garage at the uh, Southwestern Bell building was mm -hmm. basically a department store mm -hmm. of equipment, food, um, anything you needed. I mean, you you name it, we you can get it. And you, you, you had no need for anything. So. Yeah, and that was another thing. You know, they sit there and you might ask for a pair of gloves mm -hmm. and at the end of the day before you even finish that you got three pairs right. you know it's just this mm -hmm. is you didn't ask for it but that's just kind of general and, and like he said the Oklahoma standard first couple of days and, and the cell phones were nice just because you wanted to be able to mm -hmm. call your family members really quick and say mm -hmm. I'm okay this is what's going on because there was no other way to, to contact anybody right? well a lot of times we left our stuff you know you know a lot of the guys left their stuff to get down there you know that's just part of being on a you know response team how were your families during this time i mean were they were they pretty concerned were they trying to get down and oh my my wife because when i left the apartment that morning you know she when we got sent down she hadn't heard from me for probably a day and a half and when you finally got a hold of a cell phone to call and say, hey, I'm okay, I mean, 
uh, that was my fiance then, but now my wife. Um, yeah, I remember breaking into tears and crying. Yeah. When you guys, obviously when you're down there and you're right in the thick of all this and, and probably not an awful lot of time to think too much about what's happening, but looking back on it, I mean, how much does it mean to you to see a community tinker in all of Oklahoma community come together like that, even between departments and firefighters and just local civilians? I was pretty amazed. Um, I was active duty Air Force at the time, a firefighter, um, but not from this state. So I got here in 92. I'd only been here three years when this happened. Um, it's pretty amazing to see the state come together like that. I was blown away. Right. <clears throat> now, so you guys are down there. Had any training you'd ever been through in your life prepared you to go in and, and start pulling concrete and rubble and, and, you know, what I'm not, I'm assuming you would run across, you know, unfortunately deceased people, but for that kind of cleanup and rescue effort, period. Anything you'd ever gone through prepped you for that? For, for Tinker, we had not done anything like that. I mean, that's not something that we had prepped ourselves for. Besides, you know, some, you know, search of a facility, <coughs> but this was not a facility. This was, you know, a war zone. Um, you know, rubble, I mean, that's just not the typical search that we would do, but we try to, you know, employ that as much as possible of searching certain areas in, in grid fashion, um, just to, to help clear certain areas. So, uh, but no, we, there was nothing that we had done up to that point to prepare us. So, and since then, it, you know, the fire service has evolved to be prepared for something like this, but at the time, no. How has the training changed now? What, what do you guys do now uh, on Tinker and are you now involved with off-base coordinated training? Uh, we have, uh, we had at the time 12 members of this, this department were part of uh, Oklahoma Task Force One uh, that was uh, born out of, the, out of this uh, event. Um, it was started in Oklahoma City. Uh, it's, a, it's a joint task force with the uh, Tulsa Fire Department. Uh, we have members on that. Uh, we don't have any uh, right now. We have some individuals that are starting to get, that are wanting to get back in, but it is a uh, full-fledged structural collapse technicians and rescue uh, task force leaders and uh, that prepare for, you know, structural collapse, uh, canine search, um, you know, technical rescue aspects. And, you know, we were heavily involved for in, in it for what, at least 10, yeah. 10 years or so. Uh, uh, we did a ton of training. It was a, uh, we had monthly training sessions that we did at Oklahoma City uh, Training Facility. Um, did several deployments um, for offsite training. Um, at the time, we didn't have any big disasters. There was a few tornadoes that we did assist with some grid searches and stuff like that, uh, ice storms. Uh, but recently, the task force has been heavily tasked with some uh, outside uh, state assistance in Texas and uh, for the Houston floods and 
they have you know really stepped up their game and they've they've been involved uh, quite a bit so hopefully we have more individuals here in the department that get involved in the, in the near future um, so were any of you down there able to, to be involved with rescuing people I mean were you able to, to find people I never did. I, I never came across any, you know, rescues. I was in the basement, and we had uh, located an individual that was not removable. Um, and once uh, they were located, it was passed on. We finished that area, and then it was a major plan to get this person out and. Uh, it was a daunting task to, to, to do it. That uh, uh, is still a very vivid memory to get this person out. Um, we were, and it took forever. It, it was uh, something I'll never forget. I mean, then there was other parts of the uh, uh, area at the beginning where you saw, you know, pieces, so to speak, I guess, um, and remnants of individuals, so. That's a tough, tough, hard to prepare, no way to prepare for no that. Um, so you move past that. Um, what kind of, what kind of after action, like, um, I know there were a lot of counselors and, and psychologists and, and lots of mental health people that were called in at that time to help everybody that was involved. Um, what did you guys, what did what happened out here or were you guys involved with, with at least getting some, some help to kind of get yourself through? It? Yeah, um, there was um, a lot of debriefings. They, they did call in professional uh, SISM teams, critical incident stress management teams. Um, just to bring us together and talk and try to talk and not keep it bottled up. And uh, so there was a pretty good call for that. Once you were done with your rotation, uh, I do believe it was at the Southwestern Bell mm -hmm. building. You had to go down there before you left the site or it could have been five minutes, it could have been an hour, whatever, uh, whatever it, it took. took for your crew and team. They had just rooms available for every. It wasn't crew. even an option. You, right. went. you had to go mm -hmm. that before you could check out, and um, I think that started on the third, third or fourth day, mm -hmm. somewhere in there, that there was stuff available. And then we did have some, a few sessions here yes. uh, in the weeks following. Uh, the chapel provided some of that, mm -hmm. so. Was was it helpful? Did the big benefit? I mean, definitely didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. <laughs> I found it a little bit better when you got back and with, a lot the, of with the guys. Would, it's just in our nature to, to yeah. bottle stuff up, and that's what we do. Yeah, right. just talk to one another seemed to help out a little bit better. Did Did you guys find that your your bond grew better, stronger as a team here? Oh. I think anytime you go through just even a, a house fire, once you get back, 
You're sitting there chit-chatting about it. Your bond always grows. There's a brotherhood. Yeah, there's a brotherhood. You know, so, yeah, I would say so. When you guys are pretty strong anyway, I mean, as far as a cohesive closeness. Sure. You know, you're definitely well-known. Um, and I think it's I think it's nice to say that since those days, um, you know, unfortunately, Oklahoma City kind of started a path of a, a couple bad incidents in this country. But what it did do, I think, was it really raised a big awareness to community. And I mean, fire and rescue people are are thanked for their service often now and, and mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know maybe you guys know was that something that happened prior to when when these types of incidents happen and that people see exactly how big and daunting your jobs are and what professionals you are I mean it's almost to the to the military level of you know you know it, I think it comes and goes um, you know when there's something bad happens you know it you know it reaches a peak you know and it's really put out there and people do see it then and you know say something but then it comes to a lull then it'll when something else happens it comes back up but you know you still get that recognition but when it, when something bad happens whether it's here or anywhere else you still you know it does go up and down right. so that's very selfless service you know but but truly huge um, so how would you say that that incident impacted your lives personally moving forward? For me, I mean, it's, you know, it is a career event. And it is, you know, you know that made, a, you know, a definition for me that, I'm never going to be be able to forget that that call um, that day, those weeks uh, of being part of that. And, you know, some people, the individuals we have now, will never experience that. And this is something that you know I'll never forget. And, you know, and I always have that you know to add to you know my bucket list that I've I've made you know a national you know event you know you know even though it was horrific you know that's just not what a lot of firefighters police officers you know EMS personnel ever get to to say you know there you know even though there was you know thousands of us down there you know, that's just something that you know I can say I was a part of is it did it t does it take a toll on a person? It absolutely does. I mean, it's, you know, there are definitely after effects that it's had on myself and I know other individuals and, um, you know, it, there's haunting memories every so often. There's, you know, ha it has subsided over the, you know, 20 something years. So, uh, but it still does you have triggers that bring you back. Um, obviously the anniversaries as, as of today and, but there's other things that, you know, still trigger memories and thoughts and, uh, and things of, you know, what I saw, what we saw during that time frame.
we uh, we really don't talk about it amongst ourselves a lot, but just in preparing for the uh, newspaper article recently, um, we found out some things that we have in common. Obviously, the, the after effects uh, psychologically, I mean, sleep issues or stuff like that. Um, but the fact that none of us have been to that area again in, in 24 years, I didn't realize, I kind of thought it was just me. Right. We subconsciously avoid that area. Um, uh, it's just kind of funny that we all had it in common. Um, I've never been to the memorial. I don't plan on going. Um, I think it's the same with these these two also. So when we go to, it's not the whole area. We we go to, to Bricktown and stuff like that and do things down there. But that 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 radius of that block, nice. go around it. <laughs> yeah, you as well. Most definitely. I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things where. You know, we all have kids, and, uh, you know, we want them to be able to understand and learn the history of, you know, what had actually happened. And, uh, you know, I myself, you know, I, I, I both mine have been down there. Uh, but as far as me, uh, you know, I just choose not to. It's no disrespect to anybody. It's just something that I'm not ready yet. Um, but, you know, I'll sit down and I'll talk to my kids about it and they'll ask questions and, uh, sometimes it's hard to explain to them, you know, what you did, but it, it was, you just, you just let them know that, uh, you know, you were down there to, uh, you know, do a service and, you know, the old cliche, do your job. You know, it's, we say that all the time, you know, it's our job, but. At the end of the day, there were we were outnumbered by civilians five to one, and they were doing not their job. They were doing what came to them, you know, as far as you know, helping other people initially. Uh, so, but as far as the the after effects, are, I'm kind of like I'm I'm kind of like cheap Dollworth. I mean, it's to the point where as time goes by. You know, it does lessen or number or we're suppressing it still, which we might be, you know, or I might be. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, unless we bring it up, like uh, Major Vance said, we we rarely talk about it. This is actually the first time I've ever sat down, talked to a podcast or, you know, news personnel or something like that. So. Anyway, but uh, it's just it's just one day at a time type deal. Um, so did, did that event, uh, all you guys were, I mean, it's 24 years, um, and none of you were, are retired yet, so did that event in any way shape or, or change your opinion of whether you were going to stay in the uh, you know, we talked about it earlier, you know, we were all so young in our career. Uh, when you're younger, you know, hey, I can do this. This ain't, this isn't, this ain't going to define me. Um, uh, I become a fireman. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fulfill that dream. And, uh, but as you go on, 
you know, it, uh, it might bother you to a point, but it's not ever going to bother me to the point where I have to retire out of it. Now, we I was, we talked about it. I think we had a handful that did retire out due to it. Um, but, you know, like I said, we were young in our careers, so we just wanted to, you know, keep on going. That's resiliency at its finest. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, you know, you train in resiliency. Mm -hmm. as much as you train in, in fire and rescue so um, that's awesome well gentlemen um, thank you all for for sitting down and, and talking with me today I know it's tough uh, you know tough to revisit some of those old emotions mm -hmm. and uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time out of your lives uh, and oddly enough for having gone 24 years without really even sat down collectively to, <laughs> to discuss it so um, that's great. It's a great story, and, and I know everybody appreciates, you know, they appreciate you now for what you do, but certainly uh, 24 years later, still appreciate it for what you and your families had to endure mm -hmm. that day. Um, so, um, I will add, though, that, yes. you know, the department, you know, we were heavily involved, but the base itself, I mean, there was thousands of individuals on this base that, that, that helped out in some form or fashion. Not, they may not have been directly involved into the rescue, but in the support of it. And mm -hmm. without, you know, without the basis support, we, our support wouldn't have been possible. And, you know, you know, that was, you know, a big plus for, for Tinker itself. And that was, you know, something that, you know, everybody that's part of Tinker Air Force Base, you know, they, they should be proud of as well. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yes. And unfortunately, we, I mean, we lost two of our two of our airmen. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we were the, the one of the holding one of the holding places there yes. um, for a short period of time. So yeah, uh, Tinker was steeped into this thing for sure. But that is a an excellent point that it, it shouldn't go on unsaid that mm -hmm. the entire base. And, thousands of people here were, were heavily involved. Yeah, we couldn't have done it without them. So. Right. Um, so that's going to do it for this month's episode. Um, thank you for joining us. Please let us know if there is uh, any other kind of stories that you all out there would like to hear or any information that you would like to hear on this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, so with that, have a great rest of your day and week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.